0: from the beantown athletics studio in boston this is the danny picard show monday september 26th 2016 today's show presented by beantown athletics your number one source for screen printing and embroidery from design into printing beantown athletics does it all Get a free quote for your customized apparel right now by calling 617-282-4181. That's 617-282-4181. Send them an email, beantownathletics at gmail.com or visit their website, beantownathletics.com. And oh yeah, hockey season is right around the corner, so don't forget to bring your skates into Beantown Athletics on Granite Ave in Dorchester for a quick skate shopping in before the season begins. So welcome to the show. I will be joined by former Patriots linebacker Matt Chatham. That's right, former New England Patriots linebacker and Super Bowl champion Matt Chatham. He joins me over the phone today to talk some football, take a look back at week 3 and take a look ahead at week 4. Week 3 will wrap up tonight with Monday Night Football, the Falcons at the Saints. This game in New Orleans and New Orleans because they're at home. A a two-and-a-half point favorite. The Saints looking for their first win of the season. In case you're wondering what the over-under might be. 54-and-a-half. Now, seems high, but this seems like the type of game that could be a shootout. Uh, So... I, I really think I would take the over. You put a gun in my head right now, I'd probably be taking the over at 54-and-a-half, but the Saints are two-and-a-half point favorite. This game was not part of my picks for week number three. If you look back at Picks Picks, and in case you don't know what Picks Picks are, it's a segment that I do every Friday. I'm here Mondays and Fridays during the NFL season uh, and every Friday, I close out the show with a segment we call Picks Picks. I give you five NFL games with the spread. I did not get off to a good start. I went 0 and 5 in Week One. I went 2 and 3 in Week Two. Little bounce back, and I told you baby steps are going to bounce back a little bit more in Week Three. And I did just that. I went three and two. It's my best week of the season so far. I get three wins, two losses. So my overall record is now five and ten. Through three weeks of the NFL season, again baby steps. Next week, I plan on making the big leap uh, to a four and one week, or even a perfect five and all week. But three and two in week three. Uh, let's go over them because I did. I feel like I got screwed in a couple games by by games I felt very confident in. Like I felt very confident in Cincinnati coming home playing Denver. I know Denver right now. You know, coming into that game yesterday, undefeated. Uh, looking for the third win, I just didn't think the Trevor Simeon era was going to begin with the 3-0 and record. As good as Denver's defense was, I thought Cincinnati, seeing that this game was in Cincinnati, I just thought that they had it in them. Uh, to be able to beat Denver and hand the Broncos their first loss of the year. That did not happen. Trevor Simeon, what he throw? Four touchdown passes, and the Broncos beat the Bengals 29-17. to And now Cincinnati with a 1-2 and record. I lose that game because the Bengals were 3.5-point favorites. Uh, so not only did they have to win at home, they had a win by more than 3.5, and they lost to Denver. And now the Broncos begin the season with a 3-0 and record. So I lose that game picking Cincy. My other loss was Tampa Bay at minus five and a half. I got it at minus five and a half on Friday. They were at home. The Buccaneers were at home. They just had got whooped by Arizona. Arizona put 40 points up on them. What was that score? 40 to seven last week in week two. I just didn't think Tampa Bay was that bad. I thought they would come home against an LA team that was not maybe as good as they showed in a win over Seattle the previous week. But the Rams, they beat the Buccaneers. Yesterday and uh, Tampa Bay. Not only did they have to win, they had to win by more than five and a half. But they didn't win. The Rams went at thirty-seven to thirty-two in Tampa Bay. And now here are the LA Rams atop the NFC West with the two and one record. And uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Well, they're one and two. And one and two is actually good enough for a tie for second place in the NFC South. Uh, because Carolina got upset yesterday at home by Minnesota. I'll get into some of those other games. I did not pick the Carolina-Minnesota game, but I took Tampa Bay at minus five and a half. I lose that, so I lose my Cincy pick. I lose my Tampa Bay pick. The three games that I got right, Oakland over Tennessee in Tennessee. I was very high on the Raiders in this game. This was the type of game I told you where I think Oakland and Tennessee are sort of both on the on the verge of being playoff teams when it comes to the wild card race. So this was really, if there was ever a, a game that had sort of wild card playoff implications in week three, this early in the season, I thought this would be it. Oakland at Tennessee could come down to some type of tiebreaker Two quarterbacks who are young, who are looking to make a name for themselves in this league, who have all the talent in the world to do it. And Oakland, you know, like Derek Carr said, you know, he jumped in the back of his defense and the Raiders go into Tennessee. They win this game 17-10. to So I cover with that. I get the Raiders even on Friday. Uh, so I win my Oakland pick. And now you got the Oakland Raiders who are 2-1, and one, but they find themselves in a tough division in the AFC West, but that was a huge win for them uh, to get that win and, and get their second win after losing to Atlanta last week and having a big win in week one in New Orleans, going for that two point conversion, uh, which I still think was stupid, but here's Oakland with the win two and one now in the season. And you know, that was a big win for me for picks picks. And then I took Buffalo plus four at home over the Arizona Cardinals. If you heard my reasoning for this pick, I just thought that Buffalo was playing for so much, going into this game 0-2, they had fired their offensive coordinator, I do think their defense was better than they played against the Jets in that Thursday night game, and they're in their own building, Um, I thought they could cause some problems for Carson Palmer, and the Arizona Cardinals, but I didn't think Buffalo would win. I thought this might be an Arizona win, maybe a three-point win, and Buffalo would somehow find a way to cover in a close game. Lose and cover. That's what I picked for Buffalo. At the end of the day, all that matters is I took the points, and the points won me out. Buffalo won the game. The Bills beat the Cardinals 33-18 to at Buffalo, and Arizona now finds themselves with losses to the Patriots and losses to the Bills, a win over Tampa Bay in which they put up 40 points last week. But the Cardinals are 1-2. and 1-2 and two to begin the season. I didn't think Buffalo would win. But I picked them to cover. So it doesn't matter what the result was. The four points covers. Buffalo wins. I win that game with the Bills plus four. And then my fifth and final pick of the week was Indy. Indianapolis minus three. The Colts were at home against San Diego. The Colts were looking for their first win of the season. They ended up getting it. Two-minute drill and a big touchdown late. Andrew Luck went to T.Y. Hilton. They get the late touchdown. They beat the San Diego Chargers in Indy. And, uh, yeah, I'm not going to lie to you. I didn't think I was going to get a win here. But Indy drove down. Two-minute drill. They end up scoring. They take a 26-22 lead, and that's how they win it. They win it by four. All they had to do was win by three. They were a three-point favorite at home. The Colts get their first one of the season. And they were a big win for me with Picks Picks. You know, that was the difference between being another two and three week or a three and two week, which we stand. A three and two week for Picks Picks. And on the season now, I'm five and ten. But I think if you if if you pay attention to my picks and you pay attention to previous seasons, we're going to begin rolling now. That's what we're going to do. And it's going to continue and get even better in week four. So make sure you tune in on Friday or any time over the weekend to get Friday's podcast in which I will close it out with Picks Picks for week four in the NFL. Now, for a look at the entire week that was, again, we got one game tonight, Monday Night Football, Falcons at Saints, minus two and a half. I mean, this seems like the type of game that, you know, Matt Ryan should be able to still throw all over New Orleans, and you you think this is going to be a shootout, and that's why I would go with the over. But man, in a shootout, I guess I want to look at the team that's in their own building. And I guess I want to lean towards the Saints winning this one. It's minus two and a half. Um, I think they could win it by three, which would cover at home in a shootout. I'm going to take New Orleans and the over. Now, this doesn't factor in a pick's picks, but I always give you some bonus ones. I'm going to take the Saints to get their first win of the season. And, and also the over to cover here, 54 and a half. So Saints minus two and a half and the over. That would be my pick, I guess, if you put a gun to my head for this Monday night football game in week number three, uh, to close out week number three before we get to week four. But the top NFL storylines, I thought this weekend, and, and as of right now, is that you got five unbeaten teams here. The Patriots, as we know, at 3-0, they won Thursday night against Houston. Uh, you got the Ravens at three and all the Baltimore Ravens three and all and the top of their division at the AFC North. Um, Baltimore goes into Jacksonville and beats Jacksonville, 1917 yesterday. You have the Denver Broncos at three and all and Trevor Simeon, a big game for him. I didn't think they'd go into Cincinnati and win, but they did. You got the Philadelphia Eagles. At 3-0, atop the NFC East. Carson Wentz, what do you got, five touchdown passes? No interceptions. He's a big boy, and if you watch the kid play, he can throw the ball, and he's elusive enough. Yeah, I'm not saying that, that, you know, he's Russell Wilson elusive. But Carson Wentz, given his size, he's elusive enough for a big boy that can throw the football even on the run. There was one, one throw that he made down the right sideline yesterday. Carson Wentz, quarterback of the Eagles, in which he gets, you know, he's in the pocket and he takes a step to his right and then sort of bounces up in the pocket and then also has to run to his right and he creates enough time for himself to find a man open down the right sideline and he puts it on the money and it was a big throw and he made some big moves. Again, wasn't Russell Wilson-esque, really, but it was it was enough, elusive enough. And I'm not going to lie to you, and this is somewhat crazy. And you know, they, people do this and it drives me mad and I say, well, why would you compare him to him? And I'm not necessarily going to compare the kid's future and say that, well, he's going to have a Hall of Fame career. I don't know that to be true. But just little things like the movement I saw in the pocket to go along with the size and the arm strength, I'm not going to lie. It it kind of reminded me and and you know what? Joey T, Joey T shirt here at Beans on Athletics. He said it today when I walked into the building. He said, Wow, Wentz kind of reminds you of Brady. And again, this isn't to get out of control and say that Wentz is ever gonna be Brady, because he's he's not. I don't I don't I'm not gonna predict that he will. I won't put my money that he will. But just some of the things that he does out there so early in his career, the size being elusive enough. And being able to have that big arm and make that throw and not turn the ball over and throw touchdown passes, take a team and and look, the Eagles are three and all. Carson Wentz is playing great football. It kind of reminds you some things that he does remind you of Brady. At least that's that's how I feel. And uh, when I walked into the building today, I I realized I'm not the only one that feels like that. Joey T-shirts is telling me that's how he feels too. But obviously, there's a lot more football to be played for us to crown anybody. As the next Tom Brady, and I'm not doing that. I'm just telling you there are certain things, you know. There's a look and a feel, and you make comparisons, and um, you know that's what we do. Uh, you know, you watch the the Sunday night game last night, and uh, you know you see Dak Prescott out there. The Cowboys they beat Chicago 31 to 17, and the Cowboys are now two and one, and you know they're comparing. Prescott to certain people, they're comparing the receivers of the Cowboys to certain people. I saw some people getting fired up about it. I'm not fired up. I don't know that those. Comp- I don't know that when somebody throws out those comparisons, that they're saying that player is gonna be as productive as the player they're comparing him to. I think they're just looking at certain abilities, certain talents, and their skill levels, and, and and thinking, you know what? They do things that remind me of this other player. Not to say that. They're as good or will be as good or productive, but there are things that remind you of them. I think those things I think to say those things are fine and and that's what we're going to do. but Carson wentz off to a great start, the Eagles off to a great start they're three and all and then you got the Minnesota Vikings at three and all. what's interesting here is that you, they traded Sam Bradford to the Vikings. the Vikings gave up a first round pick. I knocked that trade because I don't think you I don't think Sam Bradford is worth a first round pick. Now seeing what Minnesota's been able to do. They went into Carolina yesterday and beat the Panthers. You got to take them, you know, you got to take them seriously. And I don't think anybody was sleeping on Minnesota's defense. But certainly offensively, when you lose Adrian Peterson the way they have, when you go out and make that move to bring in Sam Bradford, I, I just, I don't see it with Sam Bradford, but he made a couple big throws in it. He's made some big throws for Minnesota in big spots. Something I, I'm not used to seeing him do. Now, it's early in the season. Let's see how it plays out. But one thing I also want to point out before anybody sits here and starts praising Sam Bradford is that Philadelphia does not seem to be missing him. And and that's another thing I'll point out. You know, before I get all crazy and fall in love with Sam Bradford and the Minnesota Vikings and the job he's doing for them on the center, throwing the football, I'm sorry. Minnesota's got a great D. You know, you hold Carolina to 10 points in their own building, that's a pretty special accomplishment. And uh, I think there's a lot of quarterbacks in this league that would be begging to have the type of defense that Sam Bradford has right now Credit where credit's due. Bradford's done a nice job. He's made some big throws. They are 3 0. They have a big win. They are 2 0 on the road. And they've been, you know, he's been under the spotlight because there's pressure on him. Not just based on what he has not been able to do in his career, but also the fact that he was just traded for a first round pick. That puts a lot of pressure on you. As somebody who has to realize, if you're Sam Bradford, oh, look, I don't have a lot of time left to prove myself in this league. Okay, I got to one, I got to stay healthy. Two, if I do stay healthy, I got to make sh- damn sure that I can play well enough to the point where I'm not going to hold this team back. I mean, these Vikings won the division last year. You know what I mean? And then you lose Peterson. Uh, you know how good their-, their defense is. So Bradford has done the job. You got to give Sam Bradford credit. However, when you look at the team that traded him, that just acquired a first-round pick, that is also 3-0. and That is not missing. And, and let's not ignore what the Eagles did yesterday. Eagles, I know they're at home. They just put a beat down on the Pittsburgh Steelers. 34-3, to 3, they beat the Steelers. That's a good Pittsburgh team. Now, Pittsburgh's going to be getting on Bell back. I understand uh, they've been without him. They've been, out with, been without some weapons. But the Pittsburgh Steelers, they were 2-0 going into that game. And, uh, you know, I stayed away from it with the spread, but... Man, I mean, I don't think I would have picked Philly to win that game. Certainly not by 31 points, but that's what they did. So it, it, before we get all crazy with the Sam Bradford love fest, let's let's pay attention to what Philly's doing without Sam Bradford, okay? And they have a special quarterback of their own. I understand that, but um, it doesn't seem like they're missing him, and it seems like a great trade for Philly. Uh, to get a first-round pick for Bradford. But those are the undefeated teams, the Patriots, the Ravens, the Broncos, the Eagles, and the Minnesota Vikings. Now, there are four teams without a win in the NFL still. And one of those teams is playing tonight, the New Orleans Saints. So let's wait and see. I think they probably could get a win tonight at home uh, on Monday Night Football against the Atlanta Falcons. But... The other teams without a win, the Chicago Bears, they lose last night, uh, 0-3. They got Brian Hoyer playing quarterback, Cutlass Hurt. I mean, Chicago looks like they're no good. You have the Jacksonville Jaguars, who there were people picking them. And actually, if you pick the Jaguars in week one, if you pick the Jaguars in week one to cover against Green Bay, then you won that pick because they covered Green Bay just barely beat the Jaguars. Now The Jaguars ended up scoring late in that game. But, you know, you got the sense that heading in, a lot of people who were picking the Jaguars and taking the points were saying, well, Jacksonville's going to do something special. Now, I lost that game. I picked Green Bay. I said, it's one thing to have improvements and be an improved football club like Jacksonville probably should be and will be, but how improved are you where I think the spread was like five. I was just, I didn't think that they would cover there. They lost the game. But they covered. And a lot of people that picked them to cover saw a Jaguars team that was improved to the point that some people thought they could have a special year. But here they are now. They lose to Baltimore at home. They're 0 3. You got the quarterback in in Bortles after the game saying, you know, nobody in here. You know, it's tough to look at people in this room. We Nobody here wants to lose. Nobody here wants to keep losing. Oh, man, you start hearing things like that. And I, I don't know what you want them to say. I get it. But, um,. You see some of the emotions pouring out. That doesn't look like it's going to be any type of special season in Jacksonville. After what looked to be a promising loss, if there ever was a promising loss, it was a loss to Green Bay in which you cover and you keep it close in week one. A Green Bay team that's coming into the season uh, with high expectations, knowing that they got Jordy Nelson back. So, um, you know, Jacksonville's 0-3, and the other team without a win... Cleveland Browns, they should have a win. Their field goal kicker, what do you miss? A 45-46 yada with no time left. They get a gift. They get Tannehill to lose a football with 20 seconds left inside the Dolphin territory yesterday in a tie game at 24. You get a, a gift. Miami gives it to you. They give you a field goal, and you miss it. Wide left. Extends to overtime. It's in Miami. Dolphins score a touchdown. Dolphins win at 30-24. Dolphins get their first win of the season, and Cleveland is winless. And um, they're 0-3. You know, the Browns, they host the Patriots in Week 5. That's not this week. Obviously, it's the the week after. But that should be some type of beatdown that the Patriots should put on Cleveland in that game. So those are the top storylines through week three in the NFL, and just a look ahead to week four. Uh, you know, the game here locally that we got our eye on is obviously the Patriots and the Bills. Patriots with some extra time to prepare for the Bills. Bills get their first win of the season yesterday on Sunday, beating Arizona. And Rex Ryan's already talking shit. He's already talking shit. He's saying, that, oh, we know Brady's not going to be the quarterback. It doesn't matter who the quarterback is. He said, if Belichick was the quarterback, we're coming after Belichick. Now, I don't know. I sit here today, me, on this show inside the Beantown Athletic Studio on this Monday afternoon, and I don't know who the Patriots quarterback is going to be. Is Garoppolo going to be healthy enough with that shoulder to return? Is Brissett going to be healthy enough to play with that thumb injury that he suffered? Now, I seem to think that Brissett will be good. You know, worst case scenario, I think Garoppolo has to miss another week, which would basically end his season unless something happens to Brady injury-wise, during the season. But Brady's return in Week 5, and you should feel great about that. Patriots are 3-0. and um, But worst-case scenario with the quarterback situation in the Week 4 game against Buffalo is that the Patriots are without Garoppolo because of the injury, and Brissett has to start, and I think he would start, even with the dumb injury. And you'd have Edelman once again as the backup quarterback. Now, there, I think I read something on Twitter last night that said The Patriots are saying they feel comfortable if they had to go into a game as Julian Edelman as the starting QB. Now he was a QB in college. I I guess. I mean, at this point, at this point, are we ruling anything out that the Patriots can do? I don't think we should. They're three and all, but but you know, people are going to get nuts and are going to say what the Patriots can and can't do without Brady, possibly without Garoppolo, without possibly without Brissett, whatever the quarterback situation is. Worst case scenario for the New England Patriots is they lose this game. And we'll all look back at Brady's deflategate suspension and say during the deflategate suspension, the four-game suspension, the four games without Brady, the Patriots went 3-1. and one. You should throw a fucking potty because of that. Okay? So, worst case scenario, they lose. And, I mean, then what? Brady returns in week five, and you're rolling. You're going to have Grant come back, okay? You're going to hopefully get some more bodies defensively back when Ninkovich is back from the suspension or whatever triceps injury that he's dealing with. You know, we'll see on Hightower. This team is only, the scary thing is, this Patriots team is only going to get better after week four. So regardless of what happens in week four, you know, if Rex Ryan wants to come in to Gillette, smell blood next Sunday and pound his chest and get a win and he'll be jumping up and down if they do, they'll be dumping the Gatorade on him probably. I'll be laughing at that because what does that mean? That means the Bills would be 2-2 two and two, and the Patriots would be 3-1. and one? That also means the Patriots are about to get a whole lot better. Gronk, Brady, guys defensively. I mean, please. And I'm not even telling you the Patriots are going to lose this game. They might win. They might be four and zero. And I never would have said that going in uh, to the Brady suspension. But as of right now on this Monday afternoon, the Patriots are four and a half point favorites, and we don't even know who the fucking quarterback is going to be. Neither does Rex Ryan. And maybe that's going to be the beauty of this game. Bill Belichick. Who? I mean, just disguise it. Play games. Play the mind games. Let Rex Ryan run his mouth. Let the Bills run their mouths. Let the Bills become a Rex Ryan team after one big win. Let's give the Bills some credit. That was a big win against Arizona. I thought they'd cover, but I thought they'd lose a close one. It's a big win. It's considering the fact that it felt like the wheels were falling off in that organization. Right? And that maybe Rex is coaching for his his life right now. Um, let's give the Bills credit. It's a big win for them. but. I mean, to get the win and five minutes later start calling out the Patriots, say we're coming for the Pats. I mean, you know, it, look, if the Bills want to want to become a Rex Ryan team and run their mods coming into Patriots week, then so be it. The Patriots should do what the Patriots do. Be sneaky. You know, win the mind game battle. Take the bulletin board material. Say all good things about Buffalo. And maybe tease the quarterback situation to the point where, Rex Ryan has no fucking idea who to prepare for. And you know what? You know who's going to win that battle more often than not? Bill Belichick. Okay? So, uh, we got time to look at this game and make the pick, but that's where we stand right now. Uh, The Patriots, even not knowing who their quarterback is going to be for sure. They are a a four-and-a-half-point favorite at home against Buffalo in Week 4. The week will begin with Thursday night football. Uh, That is going to be Miami in Cincinnati. Both teams with one and two records. So Cincinnati at home again. They just lost to Denver at home Sunday. The Bengals are a seven-point favorite. If you're picking this one straight up, I mean, if you got a survivor, you know, you're in a survivor league and you haven't picked Cincinnati yet, this might be the game to do it. Um, you know, the Bengals, I think, are too good to lose this one. They are. Yeah, let's, yeah, Denver's a good team. Denver's got a nice defense. So I guess you can understand it at the end of the day. Cincinnati losing to Denver. They're the defending champs. But uh, they shouldn't lose to Miami. Cincinnati should not lose to Miami. And in fact, if the spread stays seven, or maybe even goes down to six and a half, I would jump all... The minute that thing goes down to six and a jump all over the Bengals. Because I think they should be able to win this one by a touchdown. I really do. So that's how week four is going to begin and again on Friday I'll give all of my picks 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 five games with the spread. I look to improve on my 5 and 10 record. So, uh, that's what we had with an NFL football weekend. It was an emotional weekend. Uh, it was an emotional Sunday. And last night during the Sunday night football game, we heard the news of the king, Arnold Palmer, passing away at the age of 87. And that's obviously emotional news. That's terrible news. You know, the King passes away. But, you know, it wasn't, unfortunately, it wasn't the only bit of terrible news we got yesterday with regards to somebody passing away. Because earlier in the day, we woke up on Sunday with just tragic news that 24-year-old Jose Fernandez, Miami Marlins ace Jose Fernandez, died in a boating accident early Sunday morning. And you know what? Like, I watched some coverage on this again last night before I went to bed, and I just... I mean, it just doesn't feel real yet. It still doesn't. So, as emotional and shocking and tragic as this news was yesterday, that Jose Fernandez died in a boating accident at 24 years old with so much ahead of him, I I, I just... You know, it's emotional yesterday, and it's only going to get more emotional when this thing starts to hit home and actually feels real. It doesn't even feel real yet, right? So uh, that is just tragic news. I mean, if you listen to the show, you listen to me, you know I was a huge Jose Fernandez fan, and if you were a baseball fan, I don't know how you wouldn't be a Jose Fernandez fan. The kid had some of the best stuff in the major leagues to the point where you're looking at him going, all right. This is the guy that if you're a big market ball club like the Red Sox or the Yankees or you're somebody that has prospects to give and you have the money to give this kid the big contract, he was going to be the highest paid player in all of baseball. I think in the history of the game, that's how good he was. Scott Boris is an agent. Jose Fernandez, sky was a limit. He was going to be the highest paid player to ever play the game. That's how good he was. And he's just coming off Tommy John surgery. I'm um, that does that didn't scare me away. I said that, you know, get that surgery out of the way. Right? And look what he was doing. His velocity increased. He's gotten he had nasty moving on his pitches. I mean, it's just so sad because he was gonna be such a great player. He already was a great player. And he had so much ahead of him. And yet to hear this tragic, shocking news at twenty four years of age to lose his life, I just I, I can't even I can't even put it into words, just how shocking it is, and just how how much it really hasn't even hit you yet. It doesn't even doesn't even feel real, right? So, an emotional day yesterday throughout the entire sports world, and you know thoughts and prayers uh, to the families uh, who lost their loved ones yesterday, and um, you know I think it made for an even more emotional day. I I think more so in Major League Baseball because. You know, Fernandez—he you know, touched a lot of people in the game. He's a young kid who had the, you know, the eyes are wide open, was sort of in awe of the of the players around him. And David Ortiz, big poppy. You know, we watched this Red Sox game yesterday in Tampa. We watched the Red Sox win their 11th straight. David Ortiz, big poppy. You know, they have the moment of silence, and he was, you know, tears coming down. Uh, it was—it's just so sad. And you know, I, I made it. I think that that win. That the Red Sox got yesterday, and the way they won, and David Ortiz, you know, he doubles, and Dustin Pedroia scores, which was a crazy play, uh, at home, and the Red Sox win it three two. That ends up being the eventual game winning run that Ortiz, you know, with the double, and and they win it in ten innings over Tampa. You know, emotional emotional moment, and um, baseball is gonna is gonna continue to be played this season. And the Red Sox are gonna continue to try to win. And so, as emotional as as the Fernandez news is, you know, the rest of of the league has to play, has to move on. Now, the Marlins Braves game yesterday was canceled, which was absolutely the right thing to do. And I have look, I don't know how they're gonna be able to walk into that clubhouse. I don't know how they're gonna do it. I just don't. I mean, without breaking down, every single one of them walking into that clubhouse, breaking down into tears, and just it's it just. I don't know how they're going to do it. So, um, obviously horrible news yesterday on that front. But the games around the rest of the league were played and will continue to be played. And uh, that's why this time of year, when it comes to the playoff races, is so special. And the Red Sox are right there. They are right there. They have won 11 straight. The Red Sox are doing something pretty crazy right now. And I was on WEEI on my weekend radio show. And somebody called in after yesterday's win. They're 11th straight. Putting the Red Sox magic number to clinch the ALEs to two. Somebody called in and asked, you know, Danny, did you see this coming? And right now the Red Sox have 92 wins. They're in first place. They're five and a half games ahead of the Blue Jays as of this Monday afternoon. They're seven games ahead of the Orioles. Red Sox have swept three straight series. A four-game sweep of the Yankees, a four-game sweep of the Orioles in Baltimore, and now a three-game sweep of the Tampa Bay Rays in Tampa. And somebody has to just see this coming? I did see a playoff berth coming. My, my preseason predictions were the Red Sox in the AL wildcard playoff game, the one-game playoff. What I did not see coming is the way this Red Sox pitching staff has been able to put it together, right? I, I did not see this coming. I just didn't. Rotation. You have four guys right now, Porcello, Price, Buckholz, Rodriguez. You feel confident in all these guys almost every time they step out in the mound now, don't you? I didn't think, you know, a month ago, three weeks ago, I didn't think we were going to feel this way about all those guys. And even the bullpen. You, I mean, there's some trust in that bullpen after the last three weeks of baseball, isn't there? And I did not think that that was going to be the case. So, did I see a playoff berth coming? An exciting playoff race in September coming? Yeah, I think I saw that coming. I just didn't see it happening this way based on what the pitching staff top to bottom rotation and bullpen looked like through most of the season. To turn it around the way they've turned it around and to make someone like me and and, and us trust them the way I think we do right now in late September with six games left to play in the regular season and the magic number in the ALEs to clinch it at two. I just... The way they're doing it with their pitching, man, I didn't see it. Winning the close games, and they have t- they have Monday off. They have tonight off. And Toronto plays tonight, though. And Toronto is at home against the Yankees. Jay Happ versus Luis Severino. Happ on the mound for Toronto. Severino on the mound for the Yankees. And if the Yankees can somehow beat Toronto tonight, the Red Sox magic number will be one and could win it. Tomorrow, Tuesday, in the Bronx with David Price on the mound. So uh, there could be some special things here the next couple nights for the Boston Red Sox. If the playoffs began today, the Blue Jays would host Baltimore in the one game wild card playoff. Uh, Detroit is a game and a half behind the Orioles for that second wild card spot, Seattle's two and a half games behind them. Houston's three games behind them. Yankees five and a half. But I think we can cut them out of the list and just look at maybe Houston, Seattle, Detroit. But still, I even think I'll put Detroit there, and that's it. Toronto, Baltimore, and Detroit. Maybe a three-team race. All right. Red Sox have clinched the playoff berth, but it's they're getting closer to clinching the division. And if Toronto loses tonight, Monday night against the Yankees, it could happen Tuesday night. The Red Sox clinching the A. L East. So uh, I'll be watching this. I'll be reacting to what happens this week. The Red Sox play three in the Bronx against the Yankees beginning tomorrow night, Tuesday night. Then they close out the regular season with three games at home against the Toronto Blue Jays Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Uh, If you are looking at the postseason schedule, it is out already. We don't know the matchups, but we know the schedule and the American League wild card playoff game, the one game wild card in the American League, is going to be on Tuesday, a week from tomorrow, next Tuesday. ALDS game one for either series is going to be a week from this Thursday. So next week, next Thursday. So the Red Sox, it, it, they clinched the division. They're not in a wild card game. They'll be playing their first playoff game a week from Thursday, and if that's the case with David Price going tomorrow night on Tuesday night and then going Sunday, it sets Price up for, let's see here, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and he pitches on Friday, game two of the ALDS on on normal rest, which sets Porcello up for game one, right? So uh, Porcello game one, a week from Thursday, David Price, a week from Friday. And then it's, well, who do you start in Game 3 and who do you start in Game 4? As of right now, Colts 3, Rodriguez in Game 4. And, and I mean, I don't know that I feel terrible about that based on how both of those players have been pitching. Uh, one other bit of Red Sox news, though. Getting away from the postseason stuff. Though, I guess it's sticking with the postseason stuff for the time being. And that is Pablo Sandoval and this news And this idea that Pablo Sandoval could return for the postseason or could return at some point this year. John Farrell said it in a press conference over the weekend, and it's driving me crazy because it makes absolutely no fucking sense at all to throw Pablo Sandoval into the mix. And you know what? I I, I get that Pablo Sandoval's postseason numbers are tremendous. that's the reason I wanted the Red Sox to sign Pablo Sandoval, right? He's got three World Series rings. He's got a World Series MVP. If there's any time of the season that's Pablo Sandoval's time, it's October. He's proven that. That's a fact. The numbers show it. The eye test shows it. Sandoval shows up in October. And I, I get that those numbers are there and that potential is there. But the way I look at the Red Sox right now, with 92 wins, and the wild card to the Clinton Division at 2. And by the time you listen to this podcast, they might even have the Division on Tuesday night. Late Tuesday night. So, here's the deal. Right now, you do not need Pablo Sandoval. And right now, I just think that you need to go on business as usual without him. If Sandoval is ready to go next year at spring training, be my guest. Bring him in. Create a competition. But right now, please, if it's not broke, don't fix it. And if you're concerned about the third base situation with the Red Sox, I just think you're overreacting to something that you don't really need to be concerned about. This offense is going to show up. I mean, they got at least three candidates for AL MVP. David Ortiz, Mookie Betts, and Dustin Pedroia. You know how my MVP is. Big Poppy is my AL MVP. He, Big Poppy is the MVP. He's the most valuable player in all of baseball, in my opinion. And that's not that's not a knock on Mookie Betts in his season. It's unfortunate for Mookie Betts. I think any other year, he'd probably be the AL MVP. But Big Poppy, I mean, he leads the team in batting average at 321. He leads the team in home runs with 37. He leads the team in RBIs with 124. He leads the team in on-base percentage, of uh, 4.06. He leads the team in OPS with an OPS of over 1,000. David Ortiz, and, you know, he's only struck out 80 times. He's walked 77. Big Poppy is the American League MVP. At least he's mine. And the great thing about the Red Sox is that is probably going to get votes. He's hitting 319. Mookie Betts is hitting 321. He's going to get votes, too, with 31 home runs and 109 ribbies. So, you know, my point is you don't need to be concerned about the Red Sox offense. I think they're going to be just fine. Defensively, put someone at third base that's, that you can trust the most on the defensive end. And, and who that is, well, they're going to have to figure that out. But, I mean, if you want to put Brock Holt there every game, de- because defensively, but then I'm fine with that. But I don't need Pablo Sandoval back in the mix, at least not right now. Just I just don't need it, and I don't think the Red Sox do either. So I hope that all those comments off from Farrell is just another way to maybe light a fire under someone like Travis Shaw's ass again. Maybe. We shall see. Uh, but the Major League Baseball postseason race is certainly heating up. Postseason begins next week, so I'll talk more about that on Friday. Uh, some other pieces of news today as I jump on this podcast, actually just breaking, literally just, just breaking now is and this is breaking news this is fresh this is hot off the press this is me reacting to it hot off the press brad marshann the bruins have signed brad marshann to an eight-year 49 million dollar extension and if you don't have your calculator out in front of you right now that comes out to 6.125 million a season brad marshann is staying in boston uh, this is going. He's entering the final year of his contract. He's 28 years old. He turns 29 in May. Marchand is coming off a season in which he scored 37 goals. That's a career high. Uh, it's also a career high in points last year with 61. He's currently playing in the World Cup of Hockey for Team Canada. He's playing with fucking Sidney Crosby. And Marchand is tearing it up. And he's making a name for himself if he hasn't already. And um, I personally think that if Brad Marchand... Wanted to to come out, and if he had a season in which he even scored just thirty goals next year, I think he could probably go out in the free agent market and get a contract next season that would give him more than six point one two five million a season. Like I, I think he could get up to close to seven or eight million a year. I think that's how good Brad Marchand is. Now the Bruins, obviously, they say, "Hey, we're going to give you a length of contract and maybe take the average annual down a little bit." Are you willing to accept? Uh, the the length of contract, you know, to stay in one place and this this much money for a certain amount of time, longer than maybe other teams are going to offer you. Yeah, you might get some more money per year from other teams next off season, but we're guaranteeing you this right now. Who knows what happens to you next year? Maybe you get hurt next year. Maybe you don't make that money. So right now, we're giving you a fair deal when it comes to average annual uh, at six point one two five, but we're also going to give you more years than anybody else, and it comes out to an eight-year extension at forty-nine million, which is 6.125 mil a season. And Brad Marchand's going to sign it, and I think it's a good move for him. I think it's a good move for the Bruins. And this is the type of guy I've always said this about Marchand, and I said it even you know when he wasn't scoring thirty-seven goals a season, is that when we used to watch the Bruins lose in the regular season or even get to the playoffs and break our hearts and lose in the Stanley cup playoffs. They would always play teams. And I would look at certain guys. And I think I would look at guys like on the Montreal Canadians and say, wow, this guy is scrappy. He's feisty. Yeah. He might be somewhat of a weasel at times, but he also can finish. And, and I always say, why can't we get a guy like that? When Brad Marchand started playing and producing for the Bruins and even doing it in the playoffs, you look at him and you go, wow, this is the guy that we used to always look at other teams and say, why can't we get a guy like that? Now a lot of teams are looking at him going, why can't we get a guy like that? And the Bruins have that guy. You cannot let that guy go. And I'm so happy that they're not going to. So happy that they're not going to. Because to be honest with you, this thing had the looks of, all right, Ma Shand is raising his value. Here he is in the World Cup of Hockey. And, uh, you know, he's putting his skills on display right now on national TV for the rest of the world to see playing with one of the great one of the best players in the world all right and and he's keeping up not just keeping up with them but he's sticking out as if he is one of the best in the world and he's putting his skills on display to the point where he's only going to be uh, I guess increasing his leverage in contract negotiations and I was scared that this thing was going to get into some you know you lose another player here I was scared that that was going to happen. But uh, kudos to, to Brad Marchand and uh, a stick tap to him, if you will, and the Bruins to go on eight years with this $49 million extension. So great move for the Bees. Great move for Marchand. Uh, great to see that he will be sticking around because he is absolutely the type of player that you do not want to lose, in my opinion. And there is some NBA news right now. Uh, I'm reading on Twitter here, Paul Pierce he has announced that this season, his 19th NBA season, Paul Pierce, it will be his last. Last week, we had the news that Kevin Garnett announced his retirement before this season. Now, Paul Pierce is saying, well, I'm going to retire, but I'm going to play one more. And I I think somebody, I read this earlier, is his last game in Boston when the Clippers come to town, is that Super Bowl Sunday afternoon? Huh. That if if so if that's true that's a big that could be a big day could make for a big day, and you know the other reason why it could make for a big day, Super Bowl Sunday, Tom Brady, New England Patriots. We'll see. Am I getting ahead of myself? Maybe. We're just wrapping up Week Three in the NFL tonight. But that's the news on Paul Pierce, uh, the farewell tour. I guess I guess he wants it. Paul Pierce wants the farewell tour. He's going to get it. Right. He'll get some gifts. I think he'll get some gifts, and uh, he'll certainly be getting a gift if, if here in Boston and a standing all, and, you know, that's one of those games you got to try to get to, right? That's one of those games you got to try to get to, and um, I certainly will be trying to get to that. I hope you try to get this podcast whenever you want, but right now, uh, before I wrap it up, I'm going to play my conversation with Matt Chatham. Former New England Patriots linebacker Matt Chatham, Super Bowl champion. We talk some more football. We look back at week three. We talk some Patriots. Look ahead to week four a little bit. Make sure you stick around afterwards. I will close it up, but here it is uh, my conversation with Matt Chatham. Enjoy. All right, joining me over the phone right now is Matt Chatham, former New England Patriots linebacker and Super Bowl champion Matt Chatham. You can also get his thoughts on all things NFL on his website, footballbyfootball.com. Uh, Matt, thanks for joining me today. How you doing?
1: No problem, Danny. Good to be
0: on. Um, as we record this, I should let people know, we still have a Monday night football game to be played between the Falcons and Saints in New Orleans tonight. But let's look back at the rest of week three, which began Thursday night with the Patriots shutting out the Houston Texans at Gillette. Uh, let me first ask you, did you see that one Playing out like that with Jacoby Brissett on the
1: Uh, no. I, I would I would question the uh, the <laughs> the truthiness of anyone who saw that game going down as it did. I mean, I, I personally thought the Patriots had a great chance of winning that game, but in that fashion, not really. I mean, I think uh, the one thing that always that always sort of uses an asterisk whenever we're talking about Thursday games when we pick games on the website when we do any of those kinds of things is Thursday game is like bizarro world. So anything you think you know on the other days of the week, Mm -hmm. those can be valid, but Thursdays are just goofy. So I almost expect craziness then. And usually in favor of the home team. You know, traveling on a Thursday sucks. The short weeks suck. Four days suck. Having to do all of this with a couple of walkthroughs, it's it's pseudo football, and I I hate that. Uh, But in the event that something way out of character is going to happen with the team, usually a pretty safe bet bet that's going to be the one that's traveling. So I thought everything there was in the Patriots' favor. You know, the the idea that they're going with a quarterback that, I don't know, he threw nine passes or whatever in the Mm -hmm. game before, and and the the team that's faced him has to know that what they're seeing on film wasn't written for him. That's not his game plan. So they're going to go make one quick. Uh, You're going to go do a couple walkthroughs in Houston. Then you're going to show up halfway across the country and have no idea what they're going to run. And that's a huge advantage. So when the Texans come out and and really – you know, bombed on a few defensive series on a couple trick plays. That's I thought that is a little bit inevitable. I could have guessed what those plays would be, but you know, naked bootlegs and little tunnel screens and uh, misdirection option stuff. Like, there's no way to prepare for that. Hmm. And it was straight out of college, so I, that was a huge advantage. It was it was really savvy and and surprising really for the Patriots to execute that well. With only having Walkers himself.
0: Yeah, and look, they're three and zero now going into a week four game against the Bills. We'll get to the Bills because Rex Ryan is already running his mouth. All he needed was one win against the Arizona Cardinals <laughs> yesterday to to get that thing going. We'll we'll get to that, but I, I guess I wanna I wanna take you back to before the regular season began. throughout training camp, you know, we had the storylines with the quarterback situation with Brady being suspended four games because of the flat gate. How did you envision the first four games playing out? I mean, I didn't think they'd be three and zero after the first three Matt. I was saying two and two after the first four, but here we are after the first three, three and zero, and I think a possibility to go four and zero. So, I mean, how did you see it playing out without Brady in the first four weeks?
1: You know, I, I know I'll get called a homer for this, but I, I didn't think four zero was that impossible at all. For this reason, but the biggest the biggest hurdle from in my view, just simply looking at that schedule, was. Arizona, and Arizona, you know, was scary because they made the NFC Championship game a year ago, and they're so talented and all those kinds of things, but the lingering thought I had was just the way they look in that NFC Championship, and I think a lot of the risk presumption there was that they'd be the great team that showed up in other games, but I thought a lot of the sloppiness, a lot of the poor decision-making, a lot of the sort of Japs and defensive integrity, all that stuff showed up really badly in the NFC Championship game, and because Arizona had such a shoddy preseason it just it kind of got overlooked up here we were too busy with our Mm. own stuff you know concerned about what they'd be with or without this quarterback that i thought who they really were was something people were missing and i think that's really boring stuff out here now with the loss to buffalo uh they don't play pretty sloppy lately and i know that they got to that NFC championship game but other than the fact that it was in that particular venue across the country again and, and the and the hazard that's there i thought that was a very winnable game and they did uh, and, and I also held that sort of outside what you thought Jimmy Garoppolo, which I have no way of knowing he, he played as well as he did for those, you know, for the game and a half. But I, I know the bigger issue is, again, it's, it's a team game. I, I'm not going to change the record of the team by virtue of quarterback by two get two losses. I, just, I don't think that way. I just thought that really the thrust of what they'd need to get done would be more defensive, right? That, and I thought that was really one of my big takeaways after working the four preseason games and getting to know the guys and watching all the practices and stuff. And, seeing them inter-squad with a couple other organizations, I really thought defensively that was going to be the strength of this team. So they would just have to fashion more conservative offensive game plans. Don't count on 30 points, but yeah, affecting wins and losses, you know, I didn't see that. So I think they're right on track where they expect them to be. And like I mentioned, I thought the Houston thing was going to be a huge advantage, even though Houston was a playoff team a year ago, because, you know, you got them on that crazy short weekend. They're the ones that had to travel. So, then it comes down to two division games at home, and it's fortunately two division teams that have been the weakest recently. So uh, I didn't think the, the, the that four-game threat was in, like, anywhere near what it was meant to be. It was more just, I think, reasonable uh, and, you know apprehension about what they had. It
0: and then, of course, Garoppolo, before he went down, I mean, I'll say this about the kid. He made the big boy throws against Arizona, and then he was running around making big throws against Miami in his first game and a half. He's making those type of throws. I didn't think he was going to be able to make those throws right away, Matt, but he did. And because of that, you get some some real lunatics in this town that all of a sudden forget what Tom Brady has done for you in, in his career. And um, I, there are some people that actually have even not—forget about saying it. Have, they've thought about trading or moving Tom Brady to go with Jimmy Garoppolo. These people have lost their minds, right?
1: Yeah. I, yeah. I usually you get the microphone to the crazy person anyway. <laughs> and, I, and that's, and that's part of it. I get that. But I think the most, most the, I'd say the the silent majority of New Englanders, New Englanders would think that's insane. Yeah. I think the biggest, the, the biggest piece of evidence there is really the Carolina game in the preseason. And again, it's not a knock against Jimmy. i love watching him. He's such a good kid. He, he does all the right things. He, he really apprised himself well in the, in the two games he got to start. Well, if you go back to the Carolina preseason game, and, and Jimmy, I believe, started that, you know, had a couple series up and down, some solid stuff, some other stuff that was a little shaky at that moment. But then Tom came in, and if you can't see the contrast at that point, then, I don't know, I'm sorry, blind is a bat, it's just night and day. And again, it's nothing against Jimmy. That's the case with Tom and about, you know, 28 or nine other quarterbacks in the NFL. It's just how it is. So to, you know, to say, hey, on this stat sheet, it says blankety, blankety, blanket, Hey, the team won. So, you know, substitute in out of uh, this, this, you know, four diamond guy for another new young kid. Now, that's just silly, especially with Tom. I think easily conservatively having three good seasons left and. And, and potentially even more. So I just I don't get that. It doesn't make sense to me. And I presume that there's a lot of fans out there that, that think it's crazy.
0: Yeah, and and I think it's crazy because I'm sticking with Tom Brady. And like you said, for the next couple of years as well, uh, and, and anybody who also then goes and says, says, well, hey, let's trade Garoppolo. I say, how about you just keep them all and stick them together this season just in case something does happen to Brady when he returns. But I, I think instead of getting into that argument that other people are getting into, the way I look at what we're seeing right now with the Pats, is that, worst-case scenario, they lose against Buffalo, but yet they're 3-1 with Brady returning in Week 5 in Cleveland. So, I mean, even if that is the worst-case scenario, we haven't even seen Gronk, really. I just think this Patriots team is going to be getting so much better that uh, if you had told me at the beginning of the year the Patriots would be 3-1 going into Cleveland with Brady returning, I'd tell you, throw a Patriots party because they have a chance to not just win the division but also get the number 1 seed in the AFC still.
1: Yeah, I, I think even beyond just what we've seen from this team, sort of where the Patriots' place is in this in this AFC, hasn't. Uh, I don't think it's changed much, really. And, and to to be fair to the other to the other organization that you know the, the Broncos that won this thing a year ago, I don't think their fortunes have changed much either. Uh, so as as impressive as the Patriots have been in the absence of Brady, I presume they'll be. You know, I would see much more dominant with him, at least offensively. I mean, it doesn't affect a ton on the other side of the ball, but. Um, you also get Rob Ninkovich back too, I I don't think that's any small thing. So, uh, you know, maybe Dion Lewis down the road, healthy. Who knows? Uh, off that that selective IR thing. Uh, th- the point is, there's 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 more there with the Patriots, sure. Uh, but you know, I I'm always of the mind that it has to be you know decided out on the field. And I'm looking at Trevor Simeon out there in Denver, and he playing as good as, as Manny played a year ago. So, other than that, it's by and large the same team, other than losing Jackson down to down to Jacksonville. Uh, Malik Jackson. So I mean, it's it's still you know the dust is cleared here. The Patriots had their goofy the playgate thing. Uh, Broncos had their crazy quarterback situation. Going to let Oswalder go or not go, and all that. Uh, I think when it's all said and done, it will be in October, and it'll it'll still be those two teams.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm sitting there going into yesterday thinking, all right, since he's at home, they should be able to give Denver their first loss of the season. That didn't happen. Simeon threw what four touchdown passes. And then I'm looking and I'm thinking, all right, Pittsburgh. You know they're not going to go into Philly and lose. And Carson Wentz looks unbelievable. Hasn't even thrown an interception yet. And uh, he's a big boy. I think more elusive than I ever thought he was going to be. And can throw obviously the deep ball. And they beat Pittsburgh. And I thought Pittsburgh was going to be this team that that really would be the Patriots' maybe biggest challenge in the AFC. But I mean, I guess just sticking with the division, you got Buffalo and Miami won their first games of the season each. On Sunday, the Jets only have one win. We're still looking at the Patriots at three and zero being a favorite to win this division. But you play Buffalo now at home, and I guess the question for the Pats is, you know, back to the quarterback, who do we who do we expect to be under center? I, I mean, I know it's tough this early in the week to get a full injury report on Garoppolo and even Brissett's thumb, but uh, does it it obviously benefits the Patriots that? the Bills have no idea, and Rex Ryan can say what he wants, it doesn't matter who's the quarterback. Well, it kind of does. I mean, you just mentioned Houston didn't really know what looks they were going to get. Does this quarterback situation, once again, you think benefit the Patriots going against the Bills?
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's no there's no rule here where you have to declare declare a start or anything like that. You just have to speak to availability, so I would presume the Patriots take this thing all the way up to the weekend, you know? Uh, I would imagine both guys, if you listed as questionable, as we now know that that's that designation means it's no longer the percentages thing where it used to be 50-50. now it's just unlikely versus uh what is the other phraseology they use for doubtful? Unlikely or an uncertain. So it's uncertain for what you, you know, for questionable, unlikely for doubtful. They can just keep both guys uncertain. They can just say questionable for the two of them. And you don't know in what order and meek availability during the season is just walk through, you know, the jog through stretch thing at the beginning, um, some walkthrough stuff. So there's no way for anyone to know. So I think it's obviously in their, their favor because as you, you, you saw with Brissett a week ago against uh against the Texans, he was uh, his packages are entirely different than anything they were doing with Jimmy. Mm. So which also kinda of made it kind of a ha ha thing about that that news that had come out that uh you know that the whole playbook of the Patriots is gonna be open to Brissett. Well, The stuff you're in isn't in their playbook. They don't run that with Tom. So I think that makes it difficult because you're going to have to basically 50-50 your uh, your preparation uh, for two guys that run dramatically different stuff. And the Patriots most likely will not tell you who until they absolutely have to. So
0: as we take a look back at week three and and sort of wrap up the week, again, as we're recording this, there's one more game tonight. But everything that we did see over the weekend, Matt, in in the entire league, uh, I I read or I see on your website, footballbyfootball.com, you have a YouTube video here where you give the five hottest stories of the previous NFL weekend. Uh, But if you had to pick, I guess if you had to pick one and put it on the top of the list, the more important, or I guess the hottest out of all those, In the NFL, that's not Patriots-related, what would it be after week three?
1: I would say schizophrenia. Uh, Well, maybe that's schizophrenia or wrong. There are multiple personality disorder of a few teams. So I would say there are a few teams that really what they've done thus far doesn't make a ton of sense, and and I think we're used to, if you, you follow this game closely over the last several years I have, at least since I retired, and you're used to having a lot of conflicting information in September. You, you know, we, this is a cliche, but it, I think it also bears out as true most years where you really don't know who teams are until, you know, after Thanksgiving, later, later in the year. Uh, and I, there are so many of these teams, I think, that have shown sort of multiple personalities, Steelers being one. You just mentioned that in one couple weeks worth of play and we're we're saying, wow, the defense is playing so much better. You know, who cares that they've, they've lost Martavius Bryant. These guys look like a Super Bowl contender. They're something for the past. So they just got beat by 30 points by a Philly. So, mm-hmm. we don't know, is that a Philly thing or is that a Steelers mm-hmm. thing again? Uh, Arizona's another great example. In the NFC Championship game a year ago, and they put two stinkers on the board. They they, they can't score in the first quarter of a football game. Uh, they went three and out, I think, like six series in a row against Buffalo to start the game against Buffalo. And we know that the opponents they've had and uh, those opponents didn't have nearly as much trouble putting points up. So, uh, what to make of of Pittsburgh? What to make of uh, of uh, of the Cardinals? What to make of the Raiders, who was one of the real fad teams coming into the season? Going to take this huge jump forward. They played atrocious defense for two weeks. Then they go on the road in Tennessee, who had won some close games and was looking like they were turning the corner. And they played great defense. So, the point of this is: is there's there's a lot of teams. Uh, who have resumes that don't make any damn sense. (laughs) So we all need to just kind of sit on it and learn more later. There's really only been a few consistent teams in the league. And after the way, you know, the the NFL has chosen to do off-seasons, where it's really light on contact, uh, the preseason games being rep-limited for a lot of top guys, really more of an evaluation period to make sure you get your rosters right. I think it's surprising that uh, teams are a little bit, uh, a little bit multiple in their, in their personalities in September. And
0: there's one team that really shocks me, and, and it's Minnesota being three and and0 and it's not because I don't believe in their defense, Matt. I do. We saw it yeah. last year, um, but they lose Bridgewater, and they go out and they give up a first round pick for Sam Bradford, and I just thought that was given up way too much. I just thought <laughs> Sam Bradford's someone that hasn't really proven it, and and when he hasn't proven it, he's he's been injured at times as well. So I just didn't think that that was a smart move to give up a first-round pick to get him. Um, now, obviously, Philly hasn't missed Sam Bradford at 3-0 and with Carson Wentz, but at the same time, I have to give Sam Bradford some credit here because you lose Adrian Peterson, and here you are now. You go in the Carolina, and you beat them. Obviously, Vikings defense held them to 10 points, but I, I tell you, I did not see Minnesota being 3-0 and after the first three weeks,
1: Matt. Home win against the Packers, road win against the Panthers, and the NFC <laughs> doesn't get much tougher than that. Maybe Seattle, I guess, but uh, or Arizona, you know, historically anyway, recent history. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's really impressive. One thing I will say is I, I probably share more of a uh, you know a fan view uh, from the outside of 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 Sam Bradford, just seeing the big bug eyes, seeing you know the up and down performances, using him in fantasy football from time <laughs> to time, and being surprised he'll be a huge guy one week and just, you know, it feels like he, he wants to bed the next week. So that's the perception I have of him. I don't, I've never watched real hardcore film on him or gotten much into him, but Brady Quinn who works for the site as was there in St. Louis them for a short time. Brady Papinga, uh, the guy that works for us on the website uh, was teammates of his in St. Louis for a short time also. Uh, they all speak really glowingly of him. Uh, a lot of the guys that the other guys around the league I know that sort of had this side conversation about the Bradford thing and trying to challenge my perception because there's a lot of guys out there that think really highly of it. uh more on what is what he's able to do uh and that it you know because he's had this injury bug throughout his career which has really derailed him several times yeah. it, it helped build the perception that he sucks uh but i don't think that's the reality uh, I, and again it's saying that i'm wrong from what i think my perception was so I won't be surprised if, if some of the inconsistencies come back over the course of sixteen. I, I think that's probably inevitable. I think it's also uh they're in a tough spot. They they, they passed the test first time out, but they're all really built around Adrian Peterson. So now it's Jarek McKinnon, maybe Asada, uh, you know, a run first offense that's you know has a lot of run first offensive linemen blockers, guys that are exceptional in pass growth. Matt Khalil's out now, I believe in left tackle and so you're you're bringing in some you have bulls that are meant to plow for Adrian. And now you might be in that situation where you're pass protecting more than you thought you'd be for Sam Bradford can really sling it. So uh, does their personnel fit their new persona? Is it sustainable? Those kinds of questions. But as you mentioned on the front, Danny, their defense is exceptional. So they'll have an opportunity to sort of figure themselves out without giving up a ton of points as they look.
0: All right, he is Matt Chatham. Make sure you go to his website, footballbyfootball.com. These are the guys you want to listen to. they got columns, podcasts, videos. They have it all. Again, footballbyfootball.com. Matt, thanks a lot. Great stuff, as always, and hope to talk to you again soon. All
1: right, Danny. Take care, buddy.
0: All right, great stuff right there from Matt Chatham. As always, I will be back on Friday to give my picks for week number four in the NFL picks picks looking to bounce back even more get this show at dannypicard.com whenever you want also on itunes stitcher TuneIn, google play anywhere podcasts are available subscribe right now it is free follow me on twitter facebook instagram all forms of social media enjoy the rest of your week and again i'll be back on friday talk to you then